Welcome in everyone to 32 Beat Beyond the Tweets. My name is Zach Hajduk and today I'm very excited to bring you a great conversation with Jaguars beat reporter John Shipley. Just a heads up on today's episode, if you're wondering why my audio sounds a little different, that's because I was recording it from my car and sometimes we have to do what we have to do to get you these conversations. Also, if you didn't know, Subscribing to our Patreon gets you access to daily news summaries, which compiles all the tweets and information into one single source, broken down by team. It's only three bucks a month and is used by several industry leaders to stay on top and out in front of the competition. You can do the same thing. You can check it out on our website at 32beatwriters.com. Now, let's get on to the conversation. Hey everyone, today I have with us Jacksonville Jaguars beat reporter, John Shipley. John is a beat writer with the Jaguar Report at Sports Illustrated, as well as on the Jaguars Report podcast. If you're looking for him on Twitter, you can find him at underscore John underscore Shipley. That's S-H-I-P-L-E-Y. John, you're one of the best in the business, and uh, I'm super happy to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Of course. Uh, you were the first name that came to our heads when we thought about the Jaguars. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind uh, just starting out here, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to cover the Jaguars and what that's like down there in Jacksonville. Yeah, no, you know, so i um, originally from uh, Orange Park, Florida. It's a town, you know, a little south of Jacksonville. So, you know, I've always, you know, really the Jaguars, you know, football in general, you know, big part of really, you know, just growing up around this part of Florida. Uh, went to UCF, did their journalism program. I was the beat reporter for their, you know, student-ran publication. I was their UCF beat reporter for the year UCF, you know, went undefeated, beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Uh, I, I, I don't stand with those who claim a national championship, but I was at least – that was at least my first taste of beat reporting. And after that, I after I graduated, I worked as a news reporter, did some high school sports reporting in uh, Palatka, Florida, at a newspaper called the Palatka Daily News. And then 2019, I got my first chance to cover the NFL with Jaguar Report SI. I've been covering Jaguars for the last five years since. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, you're super experienced. I think you said about five years now with just the Jaguars exclusively. So you've been through some interesting stuff with this team in the last three years. And, uh, you know, it seems like last year was a really dramatic shift from that Urban Meyer experience, which we don't have to delve into. I'm sure you were tired of talking about that over the last year or two. But, uh, you know, you have Doug Peterson in there now, formerly of the Eagles, uh, former quarterback himself, I believe. Um, and you've got Trevor Lawrence, the former number one overall pick, that weird first year, but uh, seems to be a promising second year and hopefully can be what uh, he he was billed as coming into the gra- draft. Overall, just this offseason and through the uh, training camps and things that we've had here, what position is this team in? What are the overall vibes and feelings around the team? What are your expectations? Just give us a little of that. Yeah, I think, you know, for the first time in a long time, the expectations are, you know, it just going to the playoffs, like, is probably, a, the, like, 
bare minimum. Like that should be that. Mm. You know? like, this is an AFC South where, you know, the Jaguars won it last year and internally they expect, you know, they're returning every starter from their playoff run, you know, their playoff games against the Chargers and the Chiefs other than Jawan Taylor, you know, count Arden Key in there and they're, you know, returning every starter plus role player, you know, other than Jawan Taylor and Arden Key. So they're expecting just that natural, you know, second year in the system, you know, kind of naturally improve from a year ago as players mature and develop, get another year in both the offensive and defensive scheme. So internally that that's the bare, I think, minimum expectation. And I I believe that, you know, they think that they have a team that can, you know, go in there and throw counter punches with, you know, the big boys, you know, like the Chiefs, the Bills, mm-hmm. the Bengals, you know, they obviously played the Chiefs tough on the road in the playoffs last year. I think, you know, both their games against the Chiefs, they, you know, lost by, you know, about a touchdown or so each. So I, I, I think that the expectations aren't high for them for the first time in a long time. I mean, even going back to 2018 when they were fresh off an AFC championship appearance, I don't right. think expectations were even that high then because people knew it was kind of catching, you know, lightning in a yeah. bottle, that defense, and everybody kind of knew that, you know, Blake Bortles is going to turn back into a pumpkin eventually. Whereas <laughs> now that success is kind of coming from the quarterback position and the head coach role where, you know, that's much more sustainable of a model. So expectations are definitely high and they're definitely more confident now. Like last year, you could tell they were getting used to Doug Peterson, getting used to the schemes. They're definitely, I think, a more confident team overall now than they were this time last year. Yeah, and I think that's exciting. You mentioned the playoffs there. Uh, I think they squeezed by the Chargers by a point in that first round. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, got knocked out by the Chiefs 27-20. to 20. But it, at least it feels better when you're knocked out uh, when it's the first year that you guys have been in the playoffs with the quarterback you have. And uh, it was by the Super Bowl uh, winning Chiefs. So, hey, I mean, it happens to a lot of us uh, out there. But I – think that uh, depending on the books that you're looking at, they're slated for like over under nine and a half, ten games this season, which is quite a few. Uh, I believe they're also uh, the favorites to win the division. They won the division last year at nine and eight. So they are looking to win more than they did last year. And Vegas thinks that as well. Um, just by points scored, the offense was 10th best last year and 12th best on defense by points against. But if you're looking at DVOA, which I think you were talking a bit about on the last Jaguars report podcast, uh, the offense is projected at about ninth and uh, the defense at 26th. So I think that was their, I'm sorry, that was the uh, results from last year was ninth and 26th respectively. Where do you think that they can improve on that? Do you see them being a better offense overall than they were last year? I know we have a few new additions and we'll get into those. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're definitely going to be a very offensively driven team. You know, they're not not a team that's trying to strike balance. You know, they know that they're going to be built around the quarterback and the passing game and the offense. I do think that they're going to be better than they were a year ago. I mean, Doug Peterson said at the end of the offseason that his hope is to be, you know, six to seven points per game better than they were a year ago. I mean, you look at last year, I mean, that would be the best scoring offense in the NFL. So I think, again, the natural improvement that comes from being, you know, a second year in a system like Trevor Lawrence, for example, you know, Carson Wentz, he exploded in Doug Peterson's system in his second year there. The kind of expectations for Trevor Lawrence to do the same. You know, even his solid numbers last year were already, you know, one of the better passing seasons in franchise history. I think the full expectation is for him to kind of smash those, you know, really this year decisively. So I do think the offense will be better. I think Trevor Lawrence, just in terms of sheer volume stats and efficiency and overall value, will also be better. 
Okay. And we mentioned uh, new additions. We've got Tank Bigsby and Calvin Ridley. Those are the guys we'll definitely talk about. But we had a preseason game recently. So before we dig into them individually too much, what have been some of your takeaways from that first preseason game? I mean, I, I think, you know, they obviously weren't going against Micah Parsons and, you know, Demarcus Lawrence, but I think the offensive line, you know, kind of outperformed what some people thought, you know, Anton Harrison, first-round picks, starting a right tackle, had a really solid game. I think he, you know, had 12 pass blocking snaps and didn't give up a single pressure. And, yeah, he wasn't going against Micah Parsons, but he was going against a near 10-year veteran and Dante Fowler, who, you know, it's probably the best pass rusher Harrison has you know, ever faced in his football career up to this point. So I, I think that was definitely encouraging. I think overall, you know, the Jaguars show that they have depth and options on offense this year. You know, they they have the ability to kind of change their offensive look and identity each week, depending on the opponent. You know, last year they didn't have a deep tight end room and they also didn't have a receiver who could, really win one-on-one on the outside consistently enough to kind of be isolated. So you didn't see much 13 personnel. You didn't see a lot of even 12 personnel. You know, they were really 11 personnel heavy. You know, you're seeing Marvin Jones, for example, their third receiver, play a ton of snaps, which isn't really a true Doug Peterson, you know, Andy Reid kind of staple. Whereas now, you know, the first preseason game, you saw them use a ton of 13 personnel because they now have that receiver in Ridley, who they think can win one-on-one on the outside if he's the only receiver. And then they have a more versatile tight end room with Evan Ingram, Luke Farrell, second round pick Brendan Strange, where they have guys they think can play both in line and kind of line up in the slot that they think they can be more versatile on offense than they were a year ago. Yeah, well, let's just dive into that, the 13 and 12 personnel, which I think most people would know. But in 12 personnel, you got one running back, two tight ends, and 13, one running back, three tight ends. We have Evan Ingram, uh, who who did really well last year as a, a breakout guy, kind of, after a disappointing run with the Giants. He had 73 receptions last year, 766 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, with the tight ends in general, they uh, it sounds like, yeah, you want to use them more. They drafted Brenton Strange. I think it was the second round. Tell us what that's going to look like and and the 12 and 13 personnel usage rates, because last year, I think it was three percent was 13 personnel, 13 percent or three percent of their plays. Um, and I think at 23 percent for 12 personnel. So which I think was still best, like tied for 12th in the league. So if we're going to see more of that, they're going to be even higher compared to the rest of the league. What percentages do you see them running that and who's going to be in those formations? Yeah, I mean, 12 percent, you know, that being around, you know, maybe bump it up, you know, a couple of percentage points would make a lot of sense because, a lot of that 12%, uh, that 12 personnel you saw last year, you know, was with Chris Manhurts, who was really kind of a blocker only. You know, they, he he didn't really go on many routes. You know, he was more of an extra lineman, whereas Luke Farrell, who's kind of taken over his role, you know, they believe he can, you know, be that, you know, strong inline blocker, but he also has enough juice, enough athleticism to also go out and run some routes. So I think you'll see a lot of Luke Farrell in 12 personnel, but you also see Brendan Strange. I mean, Strange, I'm not sure how many targets he's going to see. He's, he was one of two, only two players you saw, you know, three targets or more in the preseason game. But, I mean, he saw three targets for, I believe, you know, eight yards. So it wasn't like, you know, he was exactly lighting to get up or they were valuable targets. They were really short ones. I think he's going to be more of a blocker than anything. And then Evan Ingram, you know, the, the, the beauty with Ingram and the reason they re-signed him is 
he's underrated as a blocker because he's willing to block on perimeter, you know, as an HVAC, even occasionally in line. And he gives them the flexibility to where he can play in line and they come out with 13 personnel and force the defense to come out with, you know, a heavier defense. And then he can easily go out to the slot and function as basically an extra receiver. You know, he, he just has such a versatile all around game that he really opens up a lot of doors for them. Yeah, you had tweeted that out, I think, over the last couple of days. So if you haven't seen that, folks, you should definitely check that out on John's Twitter account. He was breaking that down. I even saw some people like Nate Tice replying to you, which was uh, fun to see. So um, Evan Ingram seems to be, yeah, that guy, if you're coming out in the 13 personnel, well, maybe it ends up being almost a 12 personnel like you, you had pointed out. So I'm curious to see that. Now, Christian Kirk, because we're talking about uh, receivers and tight ends here, Christian Kirk last year, a lot of people made fun of the contract that the Jaguars gave him, but hey, he ended up, it looks like, paying that off. Uh, I'm trying to find the stats we had for him here. About uh, 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns, so very productive. If we're running 13 and 12 personnel, who are the wide receivers going to be in those sets, because as you mentioned, we've got Calvin Ridley now in his most productive year. He had 1,374 yards and nine touchdowns. We've seen some very legit play from Calvin Ridley. It sounds like he might be the guy. Where does that put Kirk and Zay Jones? No, I, I, I do think Ridley is that guy. And I also think, you know, when you go 12 personnel and you have two receivers, I mean, at least what we saw from Dallas was Zay Jones was the other guy. You know, we didn't I'm, – I'm not sure if Christian Kirk played any snaps against Dallas that wasn't, you know, true 11 personnel and him predominantly as a slot receiver. Whereas last year they couldn't really do that. You know, Kirk played outside some because he kind of had to, where, you know, the only other alternative was Marvin Jones. Kirk obviously offered you a few things that Marvin didn't at that stage of his career. Whereas now you have Ridley, you have Zay Jones, who's more of an outside – receiver who can win intermediately underneath than Kirk is. I think, you know, you maybe see Kirk play not as many snaps as he did last year because I, I want to say last year was the most snaps he's ever played in his career just because, like I said, he was featured in so many of those, you know, single receiver looks. But I'm not sure how many of his targets actually change. You know, I think a lot of those snaps that he's going to be missing are like run blocking snaps. So he might miss some routes here and there. But I think overall, while his role might change, I don't think his overall production is going to change very much. Okay, interesting. So that would be important for anybody who is interested in from a fantasy perspective. If you're seeing him less on the field, that scares you. But if you're thinking that his production may not be incredibly different, it sounds like that maybe because you believe the offense is also going to be super high powered. I heard, I don't even know if you thought it was that hot of a take. Some people would think it was. You thought that the, the offense may be like a top five, top three offense. Is that what you would put with Trevor Lawrence? Do you think he's capable of that? I, I think the expectation is for it to be a top five offense this year. I think with Trevor Lawrence entering, you know, his second year in Peterson system with Peterson and just overall, you know, as an offensive coach and the positions that he puts players in. And then, you know, this is the deepest skill player group that Lawrence has ever had. I think one of the better, you know, top to bottom skill rooms in the NFL. I think the expectation is for it to be top five because, you know, you, you obviously have all these weapons at receiver. I mean, you put Kirk Ridley Ingram on the field, even say Jones, like if say Jones is your fourth best option, I mean, that's still pretty solid. You know, he's, he's obviously not an elite receiver by any means, but as a fourth option, you know, it, it's hard to do much better than that. So this definitely feels like it has the makings to be one of the better offenses in the NFL this year. 
Okay. If it is, what has Trevor Lawrence done better that he didn't do as well in the past two years, do you think? I think he's making, you know, uh, Sands that interception against Dallas. Uh, you know, Doug Peterson said that the ball slipped out of his hand. If you go back and watch it, it's really <laughs> a, a, a bizarre interception. If you watch it from, you know, the end zone angle, you can see it kind of wobbling like a duck. And it, other than that, you know, throughout training camp, he's been processing much faster. Uh, I I personally think that his you know overall velocity and arm strength looks better than it has before. You know, he has said that he added you know five to ten pounds of muscle. I think he's putting more wow. you know really heat on the ball. I think you know overall you're just seeing somebody who he's making quicker decisions, smarter decisions than he did this time last year in training camp. Yeah, a lot of times last year, especially early on in the season, you know, he had that pick against the Broncos in the goal line. He had a similar pick against the Houston Texans in the game. They lost by like six points. So, you know, he had a lot of decisions last year where, you know, you're you're just telling him to live for another down, kind of see the field a little faster. And that's what you're seeing so far. Hmm. Okay. So if we can see him, hopefully. And again, you mentioned it second year in the system and a confidence after that first year, hopefully is completely wiped away at this point. So considering the other uh, skill guys around him, we haven't talked about the running backs really yet. Um, We've got Travis Etienne, a first round pick himself. Uh, And now we also have rookie tanks, tank Bigsby in the room. And we saw some interesting usage from Tank in the preseason game because, as far as I'm aware, he was the only rookie that was the rookie running back, rather, that was getting snaps with what you would consider the starters uh, across the league, as far as I know. Uh, he got one snap, is, is it, I think, with Trevor Lawrence, but I, I feel like that that was pretty significant. Travis Etienne last year had 220 carries, and it just seems as like, it seems as though they don't really want to give him quite that many. He had 35 uh, receptions and five total touchdowns. Uh, and then previously he's had injuries with his uh, leg. I don't remember if he had anything or sorry, with his foot. I don't know if he had anything else in general with his leg, but Tank Bigsby drafted in the third round, a little taller, a little heavier than Travis Etienne. What is that split going to look like? And uh, give us some rookie hype if you can. I, I think it's still going to be like 70-30, 75-25 ETN. I think it's still, you know, like you said, uh, Bigsby got a snap with Lawrence. ETN got five of the first six carries, and Bigsby's snap was significant. You know, it came in a short yard situation. Once said he was third and one. And, you know, if a tight end doesn't miss his block, it's probably a conversion. Instead, the tight end, you know, whiffs and Bigsby gets met in the hole. But mm. overall, you know, e- ETN – I think is still going to be that primary back, especially between the twenties. But I mean, you saw the Jaguars when they got into the red zone, you know, against Dallas with Trevor Lawrence in the first team offense, it wasn't Bigsby or Etienne on the field. It was Jermichael hasty, you know? So I, I think you're going to see all three of those guys play a role. You know, again, Doug Peterson's an Andy Reed guy. Andy Reed is, you know, kind of notorious for having, you know, several different running backs play a role in his offense, very specific roles. You know, ETN, I, I expect to be that between the 20 guys, that between the 20s guy who is really leading the charge overall. I think Bigsby, you're going to see a lot in short yard situations and on the goal line. And I think Hasey, you're going to see on some third downs and in the red zone because he's a he's a better pass protector than ETN. And honestly, he probably is a little bit better of a pass catcher. So I think they're going to be mm-hmm. a really valuable running back room in terms of like 
value to the Jaguars, but in terms of fantasy, they're probably going to be pretty frustrating for people uh, week to week. Okay. How would you categorize Travis Etienne's pass catching? I, maybe you can help me verify this. Did he at one point say that sometimes when the ball's in the air, it either makes him nervous or a little scared or something like that? He, it, he gets jumpy or something when the ball's coming his way. I don't know. Maybe I'm picking too much on the guy, but. I, I don't remember that. I mean, I, I will say it, it's been you know, what, two, two and a half years or so since he was drafted. Yeah, I, 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 I have to go back to, you know, the interviews he's given since then. I don't remember anything like that, but I will say he's – I remember him saying after he was drafted, you know, when Urban Meyer said he was going to play, you know, a running back slash receiver type role that the only routes he ran at Clemson were screens and checkdowns. And, you know, I know mm. people look at his Clemson production, all the catches – and said, you know, oh, he's a natural receiver. A lot of that were screens, which, you know, it has its role, but it was a lot of gimmick-type plays. You know, it wasn't really him winning on true routes out, out of the backfield. So I do think he has a skill set. You know, he's extremely explosive after the catch. Uh, I, I think he he can and should be dangerous on screens in the NFL. But as a true pass catcher, I do think they have some better options on the roster. Okay, interesting, interesting. How has Tank looked in pass protection? We know that's super important for rookies. Yeah, I, I, I think he's looked okay just in terms of he's gotten limited reps there. I think, honestly, he's probably been third in line for pass protection reps, you know, behind ETN, behind Hasty, with Hasty probably getting the most. I, I, I'm i not I'm just not sure how many passing downs he's really going to play. It really seems like he's, he's going to have a, you know, kind of a solidified, selective, you know, role as kind of the short yardage guy early on, whereas I'm not sure how involved he's actually going to be in the passing game. Because, again, you know, outside of ETM specifically, this isn't an offense that really, you know, another read staple, it, it doesn't really focus on utilizing the running back in the passing game that much because in their eyes, you know, there's only one football they have to get Christian Kirk his touches. They have to give Ingram his touches. Now they have to give Ridley his touches. You know, how much do you really want to be thrown to the running back in general? Right. Yeah, yeah. If you have to target a guy, that's the last guy on the list that you want catching the ball for sure, which makes a ton of sense. So, uh, you know, I think uh, I've given everybody who's come on the show an opportunity here to stand on a soapbox, if you will. Uh, just uh, is there anything that in general you have that's been bugging you about this team or you think is something that people generally get wrong or something you just feel passionate about that you want uh, to get off your chest about the Jaguars? I mean, I think that, you know, nationally, yeah, the perception on the Jaguars, you know, most shows I'm on, most people I've talked to, you know, people are pretty, you know, on point with their assessment of them. I, I do think the offensive line, you know, you see them in a bunch of rankings out there rated like 31st, 30th or something in the NFL. You know, they, they I, I want to say if somebody at ESPN put together a list of rankings, had them rated 31st, somehow, you know, got to the Jaguars and a bunch of offensive line, you know, coaches and assistants have printed out shirts saying they're the 31st best offensive line in the NFL. Like, <laughs> I don't think they're a great offensive line, but I also don't think they're nearly anywhere near, you know, the bottom of that list. So, and, but I also think that the Jaguars, you know, have kind of made their bed on defense. Whereas I, I'm not sure, like, I, I firmly believe they have the offense that can hang with any team in the NFL. I don't think that they took enough advantage of 
you know, the opportunities they had to upgrade the defense. Like Brent Strange, I think is going to be a solid tight end. You know, he's going to be a good blocker. He goes into that 12 personnel, 13 personnel thing we were talking about. But, you know, you're also seeing a lot of defenders who could have helped, you know, maybe improve a defense that is banking on some guys making substantial leaps to even be an average defense. Do you think the first round pick from last year is going to help you guys out more than he did last year? I, I think he'll be better than he was last year, but I, I don't know how overall impactful he's going to be. I just I, – I think they're fitting a square peg in a round hole. Like, he's just, you know, playing him as an every-down edge guy, standing him up in a two-point stance. I just don't think it's the proper usage of his kind of role. So, I think he'll make some plays here and there, and he'll be better than he was a year ago just by nature. But I'm not sure how impactful he's going to be. Okay. Well, John, thanks so much for being on with us here. Before I let you go, though, tell us where we can find you. Yeah, you can find me at underscore John underscore Shipper on Twitter, uh, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars or Jaguar Report. You can find me. We uh, have, you know, we're boots on the ground. We cover the Jaguars. You know, I like to believe as closely as anybody out there. and We'll be updating with stuff every day. All righty. Well, John, thanks again for joining us. We hope to have you on again soon here. Thank you. All right. Welcome to the fantasy fallout where we're going to just quickly break down some of the fantasy implication of the conversation that we had with John here. Number one, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback eight overall in best ball. I love Trevor Lawrence. Yes, he's not going to give you as much on the ground as some other top tier quarterbacks, but I absolutely believe that he can be as good or better than guys like Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. My advice on him isn't necessarily to take him over those two guys, but to be very comfortable to get him where he's going. And I personally think you could get some serious upside there, even though he is being drafted rather highly. To go along with Trevor Lawrence, Calvin Ridley. I love Calvin Ridley as well and where he is going. This has to be my favorite stack so far in my best ball drafts or in even my regular drafts. ADP 25 overall in position wide receiver rank 14. I'd put him over any of the number two wide receivers for their respective teams. Someone like Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith. Calvin Ridley has a ton of upside. I know we haven't seen him play a lot of football in the last two years, but the last time we did with an aging Matt Ryan, he was still really good. I'm not saying to reach on him because you're still drafting him pretty highly, but I personally expect him to meet that and still have some ceiling to exceed those other guys, like I mentioned, who are going above him at the moment. To the running backs, Travis Etienne. You know, I wanted to be excited about him early on in his career, and I clearly believe that this is going to be a great offense, but I just have a hard time believing in Travis Etienne. I don't think that they want to give him as many touches as even last year, hence them bringing in competition with the rookie Tank Bigsby. John said that they'd use him heavily between the 20s and that Jermichael Hasty was going to be utilized regularly as a three-down back, third-down back, rather. He only scored five times last year, and I don't see any reason if he's being utilized only between the 20s for the most part why he'd score significantly more than that. I know running back is really tough this year with all of the situations that we have going on. I just don't want to pay running back 14 prices for Travis Etienne when he's not going to be catching a ton of passes and he's not going to be the goal line guy. I'd probably rather take a shot on someone like Joe Mixon, who has less competition and is on just as good of an offense, and you can get Mixon just a few picks later. Christian Kirk. I know that John said he'd expect a similar production from Kirk this year, and maybe he is right, 
But this additional usage of the tight ends and the fact that Calvin Ridley is here now and definitely will be the one makes me nervous. I'm typically taking shots elsewhere like Deontay Johnson or Brandon Ayuk when I get around Christian Kirk's ADP. As far as tight end goes, yes, they're going to be using a lot more two and three tight end sets, but Evan Ingram's still really the only guy I'm interested in here. I like his price at tight end eight and spot 95 overall. If this offense is better than last year's, I expect him to be as good and possibly better as he was last year, and I'm taking a shot on another tight end five season from him. I really want Tank Bigsby to be a thing, and everything we've seen in camp has been extremely positive. Unfortunately, with ETN there and with John's comments, I see Tank as more of a guy that will likely be touchdown reliant and have real value only if Travis Etienne gets hurt. However, at running back 42, I think that's a fine value, and I'm certainly taking those shots where I can in case that happens. Before we go, I did want to let you know about some new and additional features to our Patreon. We are now doing special episodes of the podcast exclusively for patrons. We will still continue to bring you everything in the main feed, just as normal, but if you want additional thoughts and insight, you can find that on our Patreon-exclusive shows. Additionally, we post articles, exclusive underdog leagues, and other bonus content there regularly. If you sign up for just 3 bucks a month, you'll get access to all of what I just mentioned, including our daily news summaries, which you can find the link to all that right on our website, 32beatwriters.com. Thank you all again for listening, and if you like the show, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to share. It helps us out a ton. We'll see you next week.